Welcome to the Voices of Freedom podcast by Freedom All Cart. We're your co-hosts, Devin and Mandy. Each week, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews from survivors and professionals, as well as actual tips that you can implement in your life to become a better advocate for human trafficking survivors. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now let's jump into the next episode of Voices of Freedom. Caroline Moore has worked in the anti-human trafficking field for several years. Her professional path began as an anti-human trafficking case manager before being promoted to victim advocate with the Central Ohio Human Trafficking Task Force. After returning to school to receive her master's in social work from Ohio State University, Caroline became catch court coordinator where she manages client and partner relations for the specialized docket. Caroline has volunteered with Sanctuary Night since the beginning in 2017 as a link between women in the life and the court system. She additionally began providing counseling through Porchlight in the beginning of 2022. Okay, so now that we know all of your credentials and professional aspect, who are you really? Ew! (laughs) (laughs) Is is that an actual question? No, tell us about yourself. Like your hobbies, fun facts. Okay, so uh, hobbies. So I, do you know about the Enneagram? Oh, you know about the Enneagram because you're an eight. She's also I'm a two. You're a two. Yes. Okay, so I'm a three on the Enneagram, which means that if I don't have a goal, I'm bored. Yes. So that's why I went back to school to get my master's and pursued the career again. But also this past year, I became a yoga instructor. Oh, cool. Certified one. Why I did it, hard to say. I just... (laughs) (laughs) Sounded good. (laughs) I just like the idea of slowing down and calming down because I have to intentionally do that, essentially. So I love yoga. I love being around my friends. um, And I think that the work is difficult enough for me emotionally that like the rest of my life, I try to make it as zen and happy and positive as I can. Mm -hmm. Do you teach here in Columbus? I don't. So that's that's why I (laughs) say, why did I do that? I met a lot of good people in the class, and I think at some point I'm going to teach. I've talked to Hannah at Sanctuary Night about maybe doing yoga there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that would be fun. I did it once already. It was very entertaining. Yeah. I mean, they were just like falling asleep and then walking around during the class. I was like, and come back to your mats. Um, <laughs> You're like, downward dog. I know. And they're like, nah, Not girl. Sleeping. Like, yes. So... I really want to bring yoga into either catch or sanctuary night, but I just haven't done it yet. I graduated in December, and in February is when I started private practice with Porchlight. So I have basically had a full-time and a part-time job since February, so I just haven't even considered teaching. Do you do, you do yoga? I, I practice all the time. Like, I probably go three or four times every week. For yourself? Though. For my just myself. But I mean... I also explain it like this, like all day, every day, I'm kind of guiding and leading people. So at the end of the day, I'm kind of bored of that. And I kind of want to be led in something. How did you get involved with the anti-human trafficking movement and work? So I originally learned about trafficking in 2007. I was a little 
wee lassie. And I went on, I grew up in church. So I went on a mission trip to India. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was in India for three months and we were working at an orphanage and doing all these kinds of cool things. And something happened where we were uh, asked to not be at the orphanage that we were working at because we were kind of exposing some of the like flaws in leadership a little bit. Hmm. Not, we weren't trying to like not blow it up. Yeah. yeah. It just, we were just like, oh, hey, by the way, why are you treating the children like this again? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, we had like a week or two of downtime. And so we, I think there were 14 people in our team and we all just kept taking turns swapping books and stuff. So there's a book called Terrify No More. Have y'all heard of International Justice Mission? Yes. Okay. So I love IJM and Gary Hagen is the CEO and he wrote a book called Terrify No More and it's about like child sex trafficking essentially. I mean, it's all of human trafficking, but they were focusing on minors and I read it and I just couldn't fathom that it was happening and that like everybody that knew about it wasn't responding and doing something about it 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 was like perplexing to me and so it just felt oddly personal and so I came back to Ohio I was talking to my family about it what I learned and and what I was interested in and I was like why don't I do social work because I want to be, I don't want to be like busting down doors and like grabbing people. I want to be <laughs> on the healing end of things and like celebrating people and cheerleading and witnessing all of the good things that can happen after. So that was kind of what happened. Like as soon as I got back, I got into social work at Ohio State and like that's just been it. Wow. So I didn't know you were a case manager on the human trafficking task force. Is yeah. that like the... The it's, task force here with, like, Dana Hess? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. so, I, so they created the position whenever I had just become a case manager for, like, a little over a year. And I was the first person that, that was in the position. So I was in, like, the non-disclosed Columbus police location with all these police officers. And uh, it was a wild experience. My office was right outside of Vice. And yeah, so, so, I mean, just the, the things that I heard, the places that I went, the things that I saw, it like changed me, I think in good and bad ways. And even like the officers that were on the task force, they kind of like took me under their wing as their little sister kind of, and taught me all these things. And they were like, you know, when you're sitting in a parking lot, always lock your, I mean, just things that I would never have thought about before, uh, and also, I was available 24-7, so there would be times I would answer texts or calls at, like, 3 a.m. on weekends, on vacations, when my family was in town, and it became kind of a B- lot. Boundaries. Unmanageable, It's so will. interesting how many people have come through this podcast who have been, like, the same exact position or, like, really similar positions. Yeah. Like, we've had other people who've been in that exact position before. Yeah. I would say it's a and desirable on that team. position. Okay, so um, switching gears, you also work at Porchlight. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what Porchlight is? Um, we had Mandy Pearson on here in season one. Um, so if you haven't listened to her podcast, go way back and listen to it. But can you give us like a refresh on Porchlight? Yeah. Uh, Porchlight is a private practice here in Columbus. And a couple of my good friends, Mandy Pearson and Hannah Estabrook, co-founded it. Uh, and so Mandy has like taken over. She does everything full time. And then I just contract with, with Porchlight. And you guys are counselors. Counselors. Yep. Yep. So the, the, 
kind of funny thing to me about being a therapist because I love it now that I'm doing it. But my I have like a little bit of an out there personality. And so I never thought I could be a therapist. Like I Mandy talked to me about this for like months before I agreed because I'm like, I joke too much. I like try to make the mood lighthearted. And I sometimes am just like, think inappropriate things are funny. So mm-hmm. I don't think I can, like, I'm not like the quiet, mousy mm-hmm. therapist that I just think are good therapists. And she was like, you literally have to be yourself because you're already good at listening and responding and, you know, leading slash advocating people. So there's not like a personality type that can be a therapist. So anyway, I've done it since February and I just love it. Like I love the ground my clients walk on. Hmm. Would you say that's like a stereotype? Because I, I think so. I think the same thing. I'm like, I think of Hannah or Mandy. Yes. And, and they're like, so pr- I'm like, <laughs> you little Mother Teresa. Yeah. I'm like, but unfortunately, I'm not as mothery <laughs> with my Teresa. <laughs> that's true though I know I think the same thing like I want someone that listens and is calm yeah and, and just like, like really just couldn't be more relaxed questions I'm like I personally need my weighted blanket as I'm going to be giving you treatment but it's still not a biggie okay <laughs> <laughs> okay that's great. so um, this podcast was created because we um, are like trying to break down the stigma around relapse and mental health so as a therapist, can you share about some of the stigmas um, you've encountered with mental health and relapse in the survivor community? Mm-hmm. So the thing about this that really burns my biscuits is when people... <laughs> I'm stealing to burn my biscuits. <laughs> she says it so, like, you. formally, too. I'm stealing that. It really burns my biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. See, I told you I can't take it seriously. I'm sorry. So is that uh, when people have a stigma about taking medication for mental illness Mm. it makes me want to just like go to a what do you call those destruction room things and like break just beat everything i've ever seen now have i ever hit anybody of course not but i just generally keep that you know that urge under wraps so i think that when people have mental illnesses like i mean who doesn't first of all but when (laughs) when we do we need our brains to be balanced chemically. And that has nothing to do with us going to yoga and laughing with our friends and taking a bath. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do all those things and medication is like my hero. So that's one of the things that whenever I work with people who are really resistant to medication or they start taking it and then they want to go off of it, I'm like, how much can I pay you to not? Because... (laughs) because It's like you just don't know what's on the other side of it. And if you're doing well with it, like why on God's green earth would you not? Yeah. And it creates relapses sometimes. There's a huge stigma amongst people who have mental health issues that take meds. Mm -hmm. Like everybody, and I can't say everybody, but a lot of people are like, I really just want to do this alone, the natural way. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. The stigma of wanting to do it the natural way or like the medication is like covering and I'm like, your real issue. I'm like, yeah. no. I'm like, all of our brains aren't the same natural way. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we need to get that. Yeah. Naturally speaking, I'm angry. 
But, <laughs> but med- <laughs> medically speaking, I'm a joy. All of a sudden, yeah, exactly. I'm feeling very balanced. Yeah. I just, I just get frustrated when I can watch someone blossoming, doing well, growing, becoming stable, and then they're like, yay, now I can do it alone. And I'm like, why? why? I mean, I don't even understand the draw to doing it alone. Anyway, I'm with you. I'm not trying to say that everybody needs to be on medicine. I am saying that I am a huge proponent of it, and I really challenge clients that I work with when they suggest that they would like to go off of them or when they go off and and I don't know, and then three months later they're like, oh, yeah, I technically ran out of my medicine, and I'm like, ah! Like, like, but I'm doing really well. But everything's great, and I'm like, it's been three days. And I've been wanting life. to confront you about your behaviors lately. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about how um, there's like this stigma with survivors where they once were addicted to drugs and pills and stuff, and then they have like this, like this thought in their head that they can't take mental health medication because. They feel like it's going back to that. That's a good, that's a really good question, Devin. Yeah. I mean, because I, this whole thing, I like to see red. Yeah. Because, again, we're talking about the difference between misusing substances that alter our brains and then being unwilling to take something that resets our brains. And I'm just, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, nobody, nobody that I work with isn't on medicine. And if, if that's the choice that you make after like reading and researching and feeling the feelings of on and off, then that is your choice. It's just, I think that, I think that that's kind of like the whole throwing the baby out with the bathwater thing. Like it, life isn't black and white. Like there's nuance, and I just want people to feel safe enough to explore the nuance. I'll say too, <clears throat> as a person in recovery, there are like healthy paths to get on medications that aren't habit forming. Hmm. So like for me, for example, I was on meds when I first got sober, went without meds for five years. I did it safely with my doctor tapering off, thinking I didn't need them anymore and realized um, something is wrong. (laughs) And I couldn't, I was blaming outside people, things, circumstances. And my counselor was like, you might want to talk to your doctor about getting on meds. And I'm like, I don't need meds. Mm -hmm. It's the first thought. I don't need them. Yeah. But when I talk to my doctor, you know, I, I have ADHD as part of my mental health diagnosis and, um, stimulants are often the the solution. And I'm like terrified of that because I am an addict and my drug of choices were uppers and Mm -hmm. stimulants and things. So I'm like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. that's scary. But her and I worked it out, and she knows I'm in recovery. So, like, having a good doctor, having a good counselor can help you make good choices as far as being an addict needing medication. Can you talk to us about what it's like seeing women who have come through Sanctuary Night and then are now in the CATCH program? Mm -hmm. It's my dream come true. I mean, because Sanctuary Night, like, 
you're seeing women who are in massive pain and, you know, constantly unsafe. Mm -hmm. And then seeing them even, I mean, nobody, I don't want to see a soul in jail, but then seeing them like getting clean and sober for a couple of days in jail Mm -hmm. or in court and then seeing them trying treatment. I mean, it is like, I'm not a mom, but it almost make it gives me a lot of mom vibes because mm-hmm. it just makes me so proud mm-hmm. because they're so brave and just looking at. I was actually I haven't been to Sanctuary Night in like months because of my schedule, but I was there last night to see one of my old friends that that was meeting me there, and I was looking through this like little. Uh, Polaroid book. A photo album? Yes. Yes. I, I've, I was the photographer in a lot of those cases. I'm not going to brag. But I just did. But <laughs> I'm not going to brag. Yeah. I am. Technically, I did it already. So I was just looking, and I saw a, a girl that is about to graduate next month. And I was oh. like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So just seeing them and and seeing the where they could be and where they are choosing to be it's like nothing is more beautiful to me mm-hmm. and and i think that's why i'm so in love with women who have been in the life or have any history of uh sexual exploitation because i'm like the things that you've been through are like inhumane and then you're still human though mm-hmm. yeah and you're still like soft and beautiful and smart and perfect. And it just, it's like, it does, it's like unfathomable. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like once you peel off a lot of those layers. Yeah. And those layers though, I mean, the, it, it is entertaining <laughs> to get through some of them. I'm just having flashbacks of Shrek where Donkey's <laughs> like, you're like an onion. You gotta peel back. Sorry. <laughs> I love Shrek. It, yeah. <laughs> Do you, I mean, do you know what is, I'm talking about? I'm so sorry. I don't. I do. Oh. I do. I <laughs> and have, it is like that. There's like a I think ton. I saw it at one point like 18 years ago. Yeah. There's like a ton of stinky, spicy layers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and some of them that like truly lash out. But then, <laughs> they might like make you cry like when you peel a layer back. I'm like, but... have I been cussed out? Of course. Have <laughs> I been manipulated? Of course. Do I believe anything a survivor says? Yes. Aww. And I still do. Okay. Aww. How do you... um? keep that separation like you said that you've been like manipulated like how do you keep like your personal boundaries because the work that you do is like so like you have to be vulnerable yourself yeah so like what does that look like for you like how do you keep your your own mental health safe it looks all kinds of ways <laughs> and it and i have to make it look all kinds of ways because again i was i was like with the task force essentially i i quit in 2014 and i didn't get back until five years later into social work because, again, my biscuits were so burnt. It was like I needed to be (laughs) just sent to an island. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I am, like, incredibly – I prioritize that immensely. So I take really good care of myself outside of work first. So when I'm at work, I share when I am comfortable sharing. So the cool thing about being a social worker is that once you get your master's, for two years you have to be under supervision before you can be deemed an independent, a licensed independent social worker. So I have worked with a couple of really good 
supervisors that I can just throw anything at. And they're like, listen, this is how you do it. This is how you navigate this. Um, and because I do love people. Like while I was out of social work, I was a recruiter and my boss literally told me I was in the wrong industry because I love people. She was mm. like, you don't really like fit in. And I'm like, <laughs> amen, sister. And that's why I'm leaving. So um, I do. So my bend is to go too far, love people too much, befriend people. And so I like rely heavily on my good friends and my supervisors and my <clears throat> sorry boss who can tell me like, hey, this is great. Maybe don't do this. Maybe do this. So mm-hmm. um, I'm very open and I'm like always willing to hear somebody out if they have anything that like any critiques or criticisms, criticisms or anything like that. And also just like with the women themselves, though, I mean, I, I have a job to do. So I'm like, I do all of their biopsychosocial assessments. I do all of their like clinical recommendations for treatment and, and more. And so I, even though I adore them and I have a great time doing my job, I still am like doing a task. Right. And it brings us back to like the fact that I'm a three. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. like, I, I am so motivated to actually accomplish things that I have a great time, but I'm like, I'm also distracted because I want to do a good job. Mm-hmm. But they are like, they make every day hilarious. I mean, I'll go into the jail and I'll be like there for a few hours doing assessments and they are telling me the most hideous situations, but they're still funny and kind and like, you know, they have great senses of humor. I mean, so the first time, I don't know if it was the first time, but one of the very beginning of these podcasts, Mandy was like sharing like really heavy traumatic shit yeah. and then she starts laughing exactly. and just like, you're like, oh. <laughs> Like slapping my knee. <laughs> Literally, because, and that is also how I deal with trauma. Is I just have to get a good laugh out. Yeah, like sometimes I'll have a horrible day, and then I'll watch dumb videos, and I'll just be like crying, <laughs> laughing. I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. So I love. I mean, I I of course cry too sometimes, but like my release is generally more like humor, mm-hmm. and so I fit in kind of perfectly with people who love to deflect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So with all that being said, can you share um, like one really memorable experience throughout your career that you're just going to hold in your heart forever? Yes. So there's two things I'm thinking of. One is more serious and one is funny. So one was my beloved, uh, one of my favorite people that passed away a year and a half ago or so. She was from Sanctuary Night. So I never was, she was really never my client. I just volunteered with Sanctuary Night and I was around her regularly. And I just adored the ground she walked on. And I would like go to all these hospitals and uh, assisted living facilities when she was there getting medical attention. And uh, one time she was at Mount Carmel Grove City and I went and visited her and her mom and stepdad were there. So I got to meet them and then they left and she was like, I want to do communion with you. And so she ordered grape juice and crackers and it was the sweetest most precious thing in the world and she like prayed for us oh i know and i mean she was funny as all get out like i i mostly related to her through our sense of humor like she would talk about sister act and stuff like that and we would just have a ball but i just loved that moment uh with her where it was like she was showing me the way kind of 
so I love that. And I have a lot more memories with her. But then there's a funny one that I was thinking of, which is one of my current clients who's about to graduate again next month. <laughs> so last year at the pool outing, you were there. Oh, uh- was I? Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And oh yes, I know. <clears throat> I know. We were. We were. I mean, yeah. I did a lot of cannonballs. So, I was trying to get everybody to join me in a cannonball competition, and yes, most of them did. And one of the women told me that she couldn't swim, but I was like, "You'll be fine." There's like <laughs> 800 people around here. Like, this is not a biggie. Uh, and so she was like, "Okay, fine." So we went in together simultaneously of course and <laughs> I was like whoa and then I looked back and she was like ah, and she like literally like grabbed onto my neck and I was like trying to swim with both myself and her and it was awesome <laughs> and you didn't drown uh, no. she didn't drown either that's good yeah it was fun so in your opinion what do you think community members can do to help support like the anti-human trafficking movement or to help end the stigma around addiction or mental health or relapse? Mm-hmm. I think just there's so many basic needs that need to be met that as a practical person, it's hard for me to think outside of that. Like everybody needs food. Everybody needs clothes. Everybody needs counseling. Everybody needs, uh, you know, a bus pass. So I think like if you don't know where to start, start there. And I mean, if you're loaded, we're not. So I would just go ahead and just like throw money at the situation. I mean, <laughs> I am not loaded, so I'll just keep helping. Okay, there you go. That's just what I donate do. your money or your time. Exactly. That's what I, I mean. Time is money. So I love just being involved, but I think that everybody has different strengths and talents. And so I just say like, whatever you like, whatever you're good at, good at, there's a way that you can get involved. Mm -hmm. But I also like what you said in terms of like breaking the stigma of mental illness. Like it can be as simple as you speaking up at a party or when you're hanging out with people or at a dinner or when you're in conversation, like mental illness is real, but it's also like worldwide and so what is the stigma about anyway and just like you know breaking it down and being compassionate and kind and open-minded but I mean there's a million things that people can do and there's all the I mean freedom you can volunteer with freedom you can volunteer with sanctuary night you can volunteer with all of these other drop-in centers and uh street outreach options so there's a million things people can do awesome okay well we appreciate you joining us Caroline and we want to thank the listeners for um joining us today for this episode and we want to remind you to share your voice because your voice matters.